Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. There are many items used in winemaking and other beverage production methods that once served an immediate and specific purpose, usually as preservatives. Since the Industrial Revolution, many of these items are no longer needed, but we continue to use them because we have become accustomed to the flavor these things give to our beverages. Let's take a look at a few of the things that once served as necessity, but now are used for flavor. Brandy is a popular example. If we examine port, a little brandy was once needed to preserve the wine from this region as it journeyed in ships around the world. Today, the preservation method has become a winemaking style and is used all over the world. Another example of an obsolete substance that is still used for flavor is resin. Once needed to get amphoras of wine from point A to point B, resin both sealed the inside of an amphora and helped to preserve the wine. In most modern retsinas, Winemakers will add resin to the fermenter for flavor, instead of using it by need to coat the vessels that will hold the future wine. Though retsinas are still produced, they take up a small percentage of total wine production and are at the center of heated debate for or against the style. And similar in function to resin, beeswax was once used much like resin. It helped to seal the inside of amphoras, and it also helped to preserve the wine. Not many producers use beeswax today in winemaking, but you'll find a few people here and there that do. Some use beeswax to line the clay fermenters that you find in Georgia, and others use it to seal cork. Hops are another material that could have gone by the wayside once their function became obsolete. But hops are here to stay because there is a great demand for the flavor in all sorts of beers, including IPAs. The resin in hops was once needed to preserve beer on long journeys, Now it's more of a bittering and textural element in beers. And what about oak? We once needed barrels because they could be rolled and were the easiest way to move liquid cargo on and off ships or carriages. Today, stainless steel or cement tanks could easily hold a winery's volume. But still, the majority of wineries use oak barrels or oak chips without question. And for some wine regions, the use of oak aging is written directly into wine law, thus tying regionality to the use of oak. In some regions, the flavor that a wine gets after aging an oak has become inseparable from the wine itself. It's fascinating that throughout the history of the wine industry, we find certain items that fit our use. And once those items fall out of use, 
they are either discarded to the history books or kept on for different purposes. The products that have made major impact on the beverage trade, brandy, amphoras, resin, beeswax, hops, and oak, these products were all tied to seafaring and the necessities that arouse from shipping liquids by boat. Some of these things have found other purposes, such as flavor, and they remain integral to our industry, while others just don't have strong enough ties to culture to remain part of the machine. A few thousand years ago, it may have been difficult to imagine a wine industry without resin. Today, it would be difficult to imagine a wine industry without oak. And I wonder, what secondary products will we find indispensable in the future? It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an s.com offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand you ready i'm ready you ready cracking my knuckles <laughs> mark sayer on the show today hello sir how are you good how are you doing nice to see you good to see you so who the hell are you oh man such a question my name is mark sayer i'm currently live in austin texas i'm the sommelier and beverage director for the four seasons hotel in austin and originally you were doing some some dj stuff you were kind of into music so yeah so that's that's digging deep into who i am uh yeah so like my first love is is definitely was definitely music and it's actually it's actually a route the dj route and into wine routes not the first time i'm not the only one i've uh i've run into some other people who have dabbled in djing i feel like it's i feel like it's a, a natural move i mean i think in one way they're both professions that you could come from literally humble nothing beginnings and then end up in charge of millions of dollars in revenue kind of agreed you know what i mean it's not you know, right. It's one of those few career paths where sure. you can be like, I didn't go to college, yet I'm overseeing yeah, fifty grand of revenue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, whether I mean, it's like, concert tours or Sure. Puts you in charge of puts you in charge of people's fun. It's exactly the same thing. So what segued you from from doing DJ stuff to doing wine stuff? How so, did that all go about? So when I was when I was in Houston, I was working in restaurants. I mean you can't I mean you can make a living DJing, but but like a lot of people doing, that was more of an, DJing was more of an extra thing. It was definitely my first love, but working in restaurants was at the time a means to to live. What I didn't know 
that I obviously know now is that somewhere along the way, rest, being in restaurants like that was really addictive to me. I love the pulse. I love the people. I love the sales aspect of it. And I was doing DJing in Houston, making a living doing that, working at a small Italian restaurant, probably found my way into wine there. I just didn't know it yet. Moved to Austin, Texas from Houston in 2000. Why'd you um, make that move? You know, so funny enough, to be honest, being in the being in the DJ and the rave scene in Houston, you know, became, began to be a little bit of a bear. Got it. Um, that you was, had friends that were taking yeah, you out. It you was, were, yeah, this and that was happening, yeah, lifestyle stuff. Love, love all my friends there, but that was a, you know, I, Levy, I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't say at some point when I was younger and then in DJing and living that life, I, I did feel like, something was something wasn't right like i was meant to do something else the dj thing i loved because i didn't just love the scene i actually loved the music and i loved the 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 making of the music and discovering new artists i mean it, music my love of music wasn't didn't dawn on me with the dj scene it went way back earlier than that but when i moved to austin in 2000 because we're talking about rave DJ here. Yeah, I mean, we're not it was talking club. about like the wedding singer DJ. Exa exactly. So we're talking about deep into a a CD scene. I mean, even if you were, even if you're taking yourself out of the party element, I mean, you're making money in the element. Like, there's no real escape from it. Um, so it would just kind of wore down on me. And I had friends in Austin that had gone to the university there, and. I had an opportunity to to make an escape and I and I wanted to still do the DJ thing. I just had to get out of Houston at the time. I mean that was kind of a a strange very transitional time for me. So I saw Austin as like um like a an escape route. I mean it was really what it was. And so then I I start waiting tables at a country club. And I find that what I had learned about wine that I didn't know when I was in Houston, that I could make use of it. There was nobody doing anything with the wine program at the country club. And I had an opportunity to, again, use that knowledge. And I was interested. And again, if you're talking about what segued me from DJing to wine is the same is the the same parallel that you can have between music the appreciation of music and wine i mean i was really loving the idea of finding new wines and tasting new wines and putting new wines on by the glass that i could share with people and it was there I you mean, are was, in charge of something yeah and it, you were there and you were you were appreciating an art form and delivering it and showing it to other people it's like a I mean, that's a, any sommelier could tell you that like, what's the best moment they ever had. And it's always that look on people's faces. And it's the same thing, whether you're watching, a, you know, a bunch of people, eyes roll back in their head at a nightclub, or you're watching their eyes roll back in their head because the wine and the food go really well together. It's the exact same thing. So what year did you move to Austin? 2000, uh, an official transplant at this point. So you're working at the country club. There was really no one there taking care of things. And you were just kind of like, you know what, guys? I want to take care of things. Sure. So as you can imagine, uh, we 
you could probably think about the kind of wine list that was in a country club if no one's really paying attention. I mean, it's like driven by one or two distributors. It's high volume items like Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, which nothing wrong with that. Just, you know, it's, it's those, those types of wines. And, um, you know, wine reps were starting to come by. There were, again, there was nobody doing anything with the program. I just asked if I could help and maybe put an event together, right? And so that kind of started the ball there. You know, it was just me and a couple of the young guys that were uh, waiting tables at the time or running the bar, and we kind of got to make those decisions, you know, as long as they made sense, right? It's not our money, right? So I, I literally got the opportunity there to learn without... I didn't have any tutelage. I didn't get a chance to work with a wine director and learn that. But I don't know. I guess at the same time, that's kind of shaped me some. I used to kind of wish I had had that. But now it's just kind of, like I said, like it's kind of like formed my own way to do things. But did someone say to you earlier in your life, like, hey, these are the albums you should listen to? Or did you just kind of figure it out? Well, um, so I, I guess I would say that, you know, somewhere along the way, if if you have an appreciation for any type of music, right? Somebody, somebody ushered that to you, you know, or, or, or you listen to the radio, but I mean, uh, it was like my music tastes were, were dictated by older kids. Right. But you know, that uh, again, you, all that is, is planting a seed, right. And as you get older and you, and you, you're more interested then you're able to do your own research and then it becomes, it becomes your choice and your your love of that so pretty cool did you eventually find some older kids in the wine business you know that's i no i, I mean not really and i think that 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 kind of talks about you know where austin is or where texas is right i mean you know there's been some some industry people or some icons that people look to but you know there hasn't there hasn't been a long-standing history of iconic wine programs in Texas. I mean, there's a couple of really great programs, like really deep programs now that could be used as some kind of benchmark. But even then, I feel like those have been, those were crafted by newer sommeliers. So, you know, it's been kind of a, it's a youthful industry and we've bound together to kind of figure out the direction that Austin is going. So you were one of the, kind of the first in the door for Austin that was like, hey, maybe not so much with the big brands. Right. So so that start and you know it's funny like with that it, that didn't take long because it because just like music, as soon as you start loving something a lot or you love a couple of styles and you start researching what's the real and and what isn't, then you you kind of start and as you get older, I feel like you you go back to respecting what those brands are about, but definitely in your youth, you know, it's like, I only love this and I really hate this. It's like, you can't, it's like, you know, radio pop versus like listening to some underground college station, right? You just can't, there's no comparison and, and you want to not like that. But yeah, I mean, you start moving away, you start moving away from those big brands and going, what, what else is out there? And that, that's, that's been challenging for the Austin market. I mean, the the distributors are not, they don't shy away from the fact that they know that they've had to shift how they operate with us. And, you know, back then, 
you know, it was just a hand, couple of us. You know, we were a couple of us had gone through a, a part or two of our uh, master sommelier certification, and we were all looking for for others like us to study with. And so early on, it was it was just binding a couple of us together. So I I found two guys who have just passed their MS a couple of years ago now. So Craig Collins and Devin Broly, and. We, Devin works for Whole Foods. Dev, yeah, Devin is now Devin. Let's see, Devin. Every every time I turn around, Devin is got a new promotion. I feel like, but uh, a couple of my best friends now. Devin is um, Devin's. I think on the corporate or global wine buying team for Whole Foods, and Craig is kind of done the backwards into the sommelier thing. He started out in distribution and is now the beverage director for a, a really cool, successful restaurant group in Austin. And that was kind of a decision that you had. Like someone was like, "Hey, man, you could go into distribution, or you could share with the restaurant." So that that's how that happened. So I had passed my intro MS exam, and totally blew that thing out. I went to Vegas to do that thing, and like went to Ariel. Like I was like changed my life. (laughs) But uh, uh, and then quickly did the second part. It was brand new. The certified certificate was brand new. Oh, they stuck you with the certified. Yeah, that's right. Because um, that was like the the bridge over the chasm, right? So like you know the to tell people that the MS is four parts now or used to be three is kind of a skewed timeline, right? Because the the if you're looking at the timeline from intro to master, those are each end of the points, but along the way, it's not an equal distant thing between the exams and the distance between the first and the advanced sommelier uh, certificate is was too vast, and so the certified was brand new. So I took that. I didn't, I kind of was racked my brain on that one because I didn't know that was so new. I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to be ready for that or not, but, um, but took that and then it was okay. Like now I know I need something else. Like I need to find other people studying. That's always one of the big things they tell you to do is find others out there, which is probably the case in any industry, right? If you can find like-minded people, you just go up from there. Well, it probably also stops you from quitting. Absolutely. Like, oh, I got to meet well, dude on Tuesday. That so. and accountability, right? Ex- exactly. When you got two guys waiting on you, you know, it's not as easy to go, oh, I don't have to study today or over the weekend for our Tuesday meeting or Monday meeting. So, yeah. So I reached out to, to Guy Stout, Texas's... Uh, he was like the first I messed on there, right? He was, well, he, he and Paul Roberts passed together. Oh, okay. I didn't know Paul. And so Paul Roberts and Guy passed in 05, I think. But I think right as that happened, I think that Mr. Uh, Mr. Keller called for Paul Roberts. Sure. And so like he went off to go do that right away. So, so for a while, Guy was the only one. So he was kind of Texas, Texas. And and he's, if anybody's ever met him before, he is he is Texas, Texas. But I reached out to him, asked him for some advice on some direction. He wanted to know if I wanted to go into distribution. I knew then I didn't want to go into distribution because I wanted to see the entire, as much of the world of wine as I could possibly see without focusing on You don't want to put the portfolio. blinders for one portfolio. Exactly. You wanted to taste the world. Right. So then he said, well, I've I got a guy who's moved from Houston to Austin. Uh, he's he's now in distribution there, but he's managing in Austin now. He's you know he's coming along. He was part of the group that helped pass Paul and Guy, and Craig Collins actually reached out to me first. That's who it was, and he had just re- found Devin Brogley, and so 
that was it. I mean, we started meeting on Mondays and it was exactly what I needed. And those guys, I mean, those are my best friends today. I mean, it was they kind of They both seem pretty sharp and pretty chill. Awesome guys. So I know that I'm totally fortunate to have found that. I know we all feel that way because because I think with without one of those legs to stand on, we wouldn't have gone as far or done as well as quickly as we did. But you guys are kind of like the pillars now. I mean, you're kind of like the... In Austin, you're kind of like the dudes, right? So... I mean, it's been kind of nice, you know, to, and not nice like in a... Like people bring their virgins and throw them at you? Well, that you is mean? nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's on Mondays. <laughs> Nobody works on Mondays, so that's when we do the, the virgin tossing. Uh, no, you know, and, and not from an ego standpoint at all, it has been, we talked about when we studied together and we were really trying to change Austin. And that kind of goes back to recognizing that there wasn't really a standard bearer for service and for wine. I mean, really in the state. I mean, again, with the exception of a few programs, there was nothing for us to look to. So then we looked to each other, right? And was like, we we can be that. We can start that here. We've seen these exams. We know the standards by which the you know by which we're graded. But if we adopt those things in our restaurants and our programs in Austin, then we start to create you know we start to create that benchmark. And what it's turned into now is, you know, we've we were kind of the original group, and now we've seen these. I mean. We've seen these other groups pop up here and there in the city and all doing things with really great success, competitions and, and exams and, you know, and, and not just, and truthfully, not just Austin. I mean, we've really start to see the, the quality of the sommelier rise in both Houston and Dallas. And it's, it's been a cool thing to watch the hard work we put in, not just serve ourselves i mean certainly it can serve yourself but has really served the better part of this austin and the state so how should i understand the state we got houston you got austin you got dallas to someone like me who's only been to texas twice i mean sure i, I know very little bit about it how did should you I enjoy it did you enjoy that person? that horse ride into the hotel <clears throat> everyone's super nice but the thing is that i'm not used to yeah. is when someone asks you hey how you doing I'm not actually expecting them to wait for my response. Right. But right. they are waiting. They're oh, like yeah. just sitting there waiting for me to respond. Exactly. Because in New York, that's just a greeting like like saying next. It's right. like saying like, hey, how you doing? Like, what can I get you? Right. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Let's keep the line moving. Right. You know? And so I would be standing there and I would forget to say how I was doing. Because like people would ask and then wait right. and like tick tock, tick tock. And I... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm cool. Things are good. Yeah. And, you know, I literally would be cool because the air conditioning was rocking like 24-7. <laughs> right. It's just interesting because you're like, wow. When you do get picked up at the airport in Dallas, you're like, you brought an entire house to pick me up. Like, the, the car is gigantic. Exactly. It's like half the size of my apartment, if not bigger, <laughs> right. that like picks you up. And you're like, oh, who else are we picking up? Like we picking up five, six more guys. And they're like, nope, just you. Just Come on. Right. And you're like, I'm sorry. You brought a duplex to come pick me up. <laughs> and, and it's just me. 
right. what are we gonna do? Like, do you have an intercom inside the car that I can tell you like how I'm doing back here? <laughs> Roger. <laughs> okay. Still doing over. well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. Right. Like, you know, how can I? Are you even gonna be able to hear me? But right. so this was a very. Everyone was nice. Okay, sure. which is nice when you. It's important to really appreciate New York to right. get out of New York sometimes. Then you can really appreciate what what New York is because otherwise you get wound too tight. You know what right. I mean? So everyone's super nice. I get there. A guy, while we're waiting for our luggage to come out, a guy overhears that I'm asking my driver, the person there's there to pick me up with the duplex, <laughs> where might one find good barbecue? And this guy turns around and gives me really long form advice. Like, we're still there for a while. I've got my bag. Details. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, yeah. this is the time you want to go. You know, forget about that. This is what you want to order. Right. And in New York, I mean, you could wait five, ten years to figure out all those details because no one would tell you. They'd be like, figure it out, dude. Right. Like, that's not my problem. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you didn't know that the greatest barbecue was around the corner? Oh, well, that's not my thing. Like, right. it's not for me to tell you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's nice. People are nice there. There's a lot of air conditioning. So... Texas is a, Texas is a good place, and you're right, Levy. I mean, it's it's definitely a it's something like and just like you're saying, you coming from New York to appreciate it. It's something I take for granted, and then people realize when I'm you know when I'm kind of a fish out of water, is that that Southern hospitality, so to speak. But it's definitely alive. You know, Texas is a it's a fun place, and it's a fun place. You know, hospitality is if it's ingrained in us, I think it's important that it comes through in the way we, the way we do business and the way we do business in wine. You know, I think dealing with importers and portfolios and guests, out of town guests, I mean, forget it. I'm in the four seasons, right? I mean, what the kind of the cool thing about being in the four seasons is that yes, I'm in Texas, but I get, you know, I get the traveler, the world traveler, right? So we get a lot of East coast in and it's fun to interact and people definitely, people definitely react to the, to that charm, so to speak, they're kind of taken aback at first. They want to know if you're, if you're for real or not, you know. But then they realize it's real, and I think it's, it's infectious. Actually, I mean, I think people really, really appreciate it. You know, I know just speaking about that in particular. I was talking to a good buddy of mine. Oh, two guys, both from Texas, that work over at Del Posto. Eric came from there, and then of course the the wine director uh, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff right. So. You know, I asked Eric, you know, how do people, you sold wine on the floor in Texas for a long time. You understand, I mean, like, it's just kind of in your blood to be polite. Like, how does that translate to the New York diner? And he said, you know, people, it sh takes people back, but then they're totally into it. I mean, it's kind of what, I mean, you, you, you would hope that a it depends. The, depends and, on and where you're at. And I, and I agree. And absolutely. Because part of hospitality in New York is quickness. That's part of it. Like, let's get this done. You're like, but it's not true at the four star level. At the sure. four star level, people want to take their time. That's why they came. But like, if you're at a bistro, let's move it along. Yeah, I got things to do today. But quick, quick can be done, and quick. I I feel like service should be quick. But quick, you can do quick, and you can do quick nice. Oh and no, no I, doubt, you know no, doubt right. no doubt, no yeah. doubt. But also just. No, I got the you. distance between tables. Absolutely, and that's just reading guests. In sure, Texas. I mean, the distance, <laughs> the actual the physical, physical distance. distance. <laughs> like the lady's like, "I'll be right over," right, and you're right. like, "When are you gonna be here tomorrow?" Because you're like in a different time <laughs> zone, talking to that away. other table right now. 
it's you know the di- you know right in New York the annoying thing is that like some guy's elbow is in right. your elbow get out of you there you know what I mean get and in there and get out that's the guy right. sitting next to you sure you know unfortunately but so it's just different yeah. but I mean how is Austin sure Dallas and and Houston how are they different yeah like, what so, are those places right so you're asking about the so the the scope of Texas and and how it relates to wine so Austin is definitely a an island in in the state for sure. You know, Houston and Dallas are both big, big metropolitan cities. Big reach, lots of millions of people, lots of concrete. You know, it's very much. You know, there's a lot of a lot of the old oil money in Texas live both in Dallas. I mean, come on, there was a show about it, right? I mean, Dallas is like a. You know, some of that actually does exist. Who did shoot Jr.? Did we ever? Fi- I don't uh, think we figured that out. <laughs> ah, I know. All um, these years. I know. Why can't our police do good Come work? Come on. <laughs> um, but you know, in Houston, Houston, same thing. And that's where I grew up, and I love being from there. And those are they're interesting places, and they have a lot to offer. You know, people love Austin because it's kind of got that. Due in part to the university, due in part to the to the fact that it's kind of been a, a, a you know people joke about it being a much more hippie local you know live local music capital of the world all that theme runs heavy through that which is kind of antithetical to what you think about the rest of Texas which makes it kind of secluded and I and I think and I know because I moved from Houston to Austin. That's the allure. I mean, it's fun to go to an island, right? I mean, it's it's an escape. You know, Austin is so radically different. And in terms of a in terms of a, a market, a wine market, you know, Houston or Houston and Dallas both are selling in terms of dollars, sell, head and shoulders above Austin at the moment. And but a lot of that is kind of standard fare. You know, you can. I mean, there's a lot of programs in, in a lot of restaurants in in Houston and Dallas. It's kind of point to the cab, point to the shard. Don't sell me rosé is still sweet. Forget about it. You know, where Austin, because of that personality and that vibe and that the money that's actually made in Austin is a lot of made money, a lot of tech money there, a lot of startup company money. A lot of that's young blood, and there's just an, a much more of a of a of an environment of trying new things and so what we don't sell in terms of dollars in the state we make up for in what types of wine we sell we're all over the map you know we're we're seeing a i since i've been selling wine we've seen the amount of wines we've been able to to get grow exponentially so it's been it's been a good time also to be a sommelier in Austin and in Texas in general, you know, it was a, it's been a state that did well during the economic downturn. So there was always some money here, but it's been, it's fun. Austin's fun. And like I said, Houston, and Dallas, both. I think we we had talked earlier, you know, the, uh, the restaurant scene in Houston and Dallas are both awesome. And there's fantastic programs there. And I love being there. It's just a little bit more spread out. It's just not as cohesive. Whereas in Austin, and kind of going back to the wine thing, you know, it's so much more communal. And that's part of what makes Austin fun. It's part of what, when you talk to people, they're like, oh, I gotta get to Austin. You know, we're, we're a part of that conversation now. So it's kind of nice. You and your crew, the guys you came up with, you're pretty much institution guys at this point. I mean, you're working 
at the Four Seasons. Devin's working Whole Foods. Craig's got a whole group of restaurants going. Are there smaller, you know, a guy with 50-seat restaurant doing a small list? Or what's the scene in Austin like today? You know, we've got, and just like in the Texas thing, right, everybody wants to make a 100-seat restaurant, but, uh, and, and you know, keep it, keep it on that bigger scale. I think in Austin... I think what's going to define our restaurant industry is that size of restaurant. I and mean, we're starting to see uh, more restaurants pop up faster and with less seats, smaller menus, focused concepts, focused lists. We're heading in that direction. And that's the way, I mean, I feel like that's the great part about this city is you can go get this type of wine list or go get this type of food anytime. And I think that that's part of I think that's a slower moving concept in the state, let alone in Austin as well as like telling diners, this is what we do. Right. And that's how we we want to eat. We do a Right. Exactly. Right. Right. So. um, Because they're used to all the bells and whistles. Oh, I want the valet parking. I want to be able to order this. I want to be able to order that. Like that's full service to them. And that though, but also like speaking about like food and wine, if we, it's like, if we don't put shishito peppers on, are people going to sit at our bar? It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, or if we don't, if we don't have a Chardonnay by the glass, are are we just doing it the wrong way? And it's like, no, like I, I think it's, it, it's just a mentality of needing to showcase what it is that you do and what pairs well with it. And I think that people are more on board now. It's like the local thing, right? The local thing in terms of food is huge. And everybody's looking for the local. Why? Because it's an identity. It's what you do. It's It just feels right to do that. And I think now people are st- in, in Texas, I feel like people now are a little bit more engaged with not only what they're eating, but now with what they're drinking and why. And I think that that, that also kind of goes back to you asking about the difference between Austin maybe and the other markets in Texas is that that's a faster moving notion in Austin, right? We don't want Chardonnay because you don't serve food that goes well with Chardonnay. So Tell me about the Gruner, you know, or whatever. But one of the things, speaking of the local thing that I've noticed is that when you like Texas, Texas is very happy about that. When you come in and be like, hey, I'm so happy to be in Texas. People are like, yes. Like, yeah. you know, they, they eat knew it. it. They eat it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a fan of Texas, they'll be a fan of you, I think, in general. Yeah, like, I think so. Like, if you come in like, I'm a Yankee, that's not going to go so well for you, I don't think. You Have know you what ever I mean? heard anybody say, like, I went to Texas and eh. It's not right. for me. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, mean, I yeah. Think, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody's told me that, I guess. Is that no. true? I've never heard that. Oh, okay. No, I definitely hear people say that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I just. I mean, they, they went to Dallas. I, you know, I just think I knew that it. There's, I mean, let's be honest. I know. There's not a lot of Jews. <laughs> you know? Right. Not, there's not a lot of a few things. There's not sure. a lot of Eskimos either. But, right. Of you course. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I got gotcha. you. People right. need community. You know? Right. Right. Just saying. So, but to get back to the wine thing, what's Trio like? What are you doing there? So the restaurant in the Four Seasons is a um, contemporary style steakhouse. I know it's a little vague, but it's taken the, you know, the steakhouse concept, which is obviously very popular. You know, people love steaks all across the country. But in Texas, they like them some beef. Love the beef in Texas, right? So the restaurant Trio is actually 
was one of the first restaurants to remodel itself to seem and, and feel and operate as an independent inside of a Four Seasons. So our restaurant concept is, a, again, a contemporary style steakhouse, kind of in the mold of BLT steak or or, or craft when that was open, that kind of, again, serving craft steaks steak. and chops and seafoods, but doing it in a much more modern spin. Uh, great concept and great concept to pair wine in. So the, you're asking me about the wine programs, you know, with with such a broad food concept, right? I'm able to just research taste wines and put wines from all over the map on the list, which is also important, I feel, in a in a hotel, right? Because you've got a traveling guest. So fun to be able to... I've had several guests that are world travelers that are surprised we have wines on their list that they found in Europe, right? That's a satisfying feeling to me. But in terms of style of wine... You know, it's Texas, right? So, and like you said, just like beef is king, Cabernet is still king, right? Chardonnay is still the queen. But we go way outside of that. Those wines on a percentage of my list are much smaller than you would find in another steakhouse in a downtown city in Texas. And we go, we go pretty broad and, and all over. There's and, and I like to go really broad with the wines by the glass. You know, I feel like... I'm proud of the by the glass program. I feel like if you have a strong by the glass program, it's a window into what your bottle selection's like. Hopefully. I think it's Otherwise. well because I, I think, it's, I think be, it's backwards, right? You know what it's I mean? backwards yeah. when it's like we're going to short out right. on the wines by the glass because so we, we want to force you stuff. into the bottle. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a that's to me that's a that's not a modern thing to do anymore. And I I, I hope that people are moving away from that mentality. But the Wines by the Glass program, you know, if you have something big, like a, a large program, you know, your servers, your staff, everyone is armed with so much more than the standard. Uh, it engages them and in turn it engages the diners. And your parent, again, especially with the concept we have with kind of simple preparations of food, you know, the pairing opportunities are, are huge. And so... Instead of just having white burgundy, if there is Alsace on the list or wines from Greece to pair with that same dish, like, yeah, I mean, it's completely fair game. So it's a that having that tool in the restaurant's important to me. And it is a window into the breadth that we have for the wines on the list. Because looking at your list, I mean, there's a fair amount of Riesling on there. And sure. I mean, there was a Sertico. And, you right. Know. You know, it's fun to watch two things. It's fun to see a Certico, like a grape like that. It's fun to watch the Somme community, like four or five restaurants have something like that on their list. That means that, you know, that the wines are being shown and that they are indeed being purchased. Like, that's fantastic. That's good to see because that means we'll see more in the future. And then it's amazing to watch, to watch, <laughs> to watch my servers now move people away from Albarino to try a Certico, like holy cow, like getting them to 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 into Albarino, which I think is in that second stratosphere of of wine grapes that diners recognize, but to push them even further, like that that type of engagement, I mean, you can't buy that. It's amazing. Trio is a restaurant that's run by the Four Seasons, or there's a sh like a chef partnership, or how does it work? Trio is one of the first to renovate as and, and look and feel like an independent, but it is indeed a Four Seasons restaurant. 
But the idea was to kind of look like not. Absolutely. Like, so you like you walk in the hotel and you walk downstairs in the restaurant and it it doesn't we have our own bar. Like that's something that kind of separates us from other hotels. Like a lot of times hotel restaurants there'll be a lobby bar but then there'll be a dining room, right? And that kind of when you're in that environment, you know it. Even if the food's great, it doesn't feel like you're in a restaurant. It feels like you're in a hotel. You know, part of that is it, it's great the way we have it set up now because hotel restaurants, obviously, we're also fighting that stigma of restaurants in a hotel trying to kind of under-deliver for the money being charged. Oh, I see, right? I see. Exactly. So now you walk down into that restaurant, it doesn't feel like you're in a hotel restaurant, and that stigma disappears. So it's great. And obviously the other thing, you know, the other goal of the restaurant is to engage the city. I mean, we're not there just for the boxes above our heads. Like we want to challenge all the restaurants in the city and we're doesn't matter which way we cut it you know we're a downtown steakhouse and there's plenty of options in any city downtown like especially houston and dallas for that for steakhouse money so we just try to offer up something a little bit different so it's great you're on a kind of a committee for the four seasons kind of nationwide for wine with james tidwell right so the we have a corporate beverage committee and it's made up basically the core members are are myself and James and our corporate VP of food and beverage. Every couple of years we, we do a lot of things throughout the year and, and, and corporate comes down and gets our advice on some things. But uh we do uh we roll out a a, a corporate mandate. I, I don't like that word. It feels like mandate's like a mandate, like yeah. what we got going on right here. It's a mandate. <laughs> a bromance yeah, a mandate. Exactly. Um so but it's designed to uh, we taste uh, like literally blind taste a thousand samples of wine. We 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 get submissions from all across the country and then we blind taste these wines and we kind of break them into up into categories. Like some of the wines are never destined to see the maybe see the the restaurant floors in our in our hotels and our lobbies. Maybe they're specifically designed for banquets, but we taste in these tiers. And you know it's funny when I when I first got to Four Seasons, I thought that the I looked at the corporate mandate, the wines we were pouring, and I was like, "Oh man, like this is, this is kind of a weird spot." And that was before, like that was before James and I were involved with our new VP of Food and Beverage. And you know, it's again that kind of younger sommelier mentality, like I, oh, I don't like this, and kind of damn the man kind of a thing. What I didn't realize, and what ended up being a really good learning, like a lesson for me with working corporately, is that. The corporate mandate was not designed to just dig pricing on wine so that we can make better margins on things in our outlets. It literally is there to, yes, do that because we can now promise in quantity. But like with the addition of James and I, what it ends up doing is it creates a benchmark for the wines that are poured maybe by the glass in our in our lounges, in our lobby bars, in our restaurants especially with the properties that don't have sommeliers, that there's a quality standard and they've been blind. They were blind tasted and chosen by us. And so, you know, that's a great thing. That's a way to, to show our strength across the board by, by delivering a, a level of quality as opposed to just maybe leaving some properties on their own and up to their own devices. And maybe things aren't as great, but it's a, it kind of equalizes things out. And so that the corporate beverage program is fun. 
it's nice. I mean, like if there's new liquor programming out or craft beers or, or, or wines, you know, like those things kind of run through us and we kind of help make decisions that way. And James Tidwell's the head sommelier at the Four Seasons in Dallas, and he's on that committee with you. He is. And when did you guys first meet? So James, James is a great guy. He, um, and of course, he also co-founded Texom, right? So that's a big project for him. James and I first met, you know, when I, when I was deciding to to leave the country club, my decision to leave that started as I was kind of doing the like the wine thing. I was kind of decided that I wanted to have a career in in wine, in restaurants, but definitely in wine. You know, the a position came open, or a, the restaurant being renovated. Trio was being that restaurant was just a a standard restaurant inside the hotel and it was being renovated into trio which what it is now i started interviewing over there and was i did not get i did not get a management position because there was no sommelier position open so they did offer me a server position which i was going to i would have to i was going to serve there while the restaurant was being renovated and then once trio opened i would be a server but they were like, you have wine knowledge. We really want you here. We promote from within. And so I immediately went to James. You know, James had James had already been at Four Seasons in Dallas four years, was their wine director, great guy, definitely a, one of those early pillars in the state for wine service. And went to James and um, and basically just relayed my my concerns for for what I thought was going to be a step back in my career and look to him for some mentorship. So, you know, there is, you know, it's, I, maybe I didn't work with someone early on to learn some things, but I definitely reached out to James for some, he was like my guidance counselor, if you want to call it that. And, uh, he's, uh, he's been a, a, another great friend and yes, definitely a mentor. So he kind of convinced you to take the four seasons. What did he say to you? You know, he had, you know, he kind of went a similar path. You know, he, he was buying wines for a French restaurant in Jersey, actually, at the time, before moving to the Four Seasons Dallas. And, you know, he had undergone some things, too, where he needed to move back closer to his family, which was in Louisiana. And this job was open. I, I forget how he got into Four Seasons, but, you know, he basically assured me that the force, like, just like him, like he showed up, they didn't really have a position carved out either. And he said that he basically made his own way. And if you make, and this is, this would be advice I would give to any young sommelier or wine professional is make yourself indispensable. If you know the food more than anyone, if you know how the restaurant works more than anyone, and you have wine knowledge, then you can't, how are they going to deny you? And so I made the leap, uh, a huge, a huge risk for me that worked out really well. But you'd also were kind of at Texom at like a competition and you did well. And like your boss saw that. So at Texom, you know, we have a Texas's best sommelier. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a competition. A, the like Texom, a wine yeah, conference. Yeah. Texom is the, is the, is the state wine conference and not just you know not just relegated to, to Texas, right? We've got people from all over the world now coming to Texas, which is amazing. But um, Levy you, Dalton was Levy, there last time. I couldn't believe it. He may never be invited back, but he was there one time. He was, 
That's right. So yeah, so myself on our study group, we were competing in this competition at Texom. It was it was year three. Devin Brogley actually won the competition year two, which is great. Craig placed second. Oh, okay. Pretty pretty awesome, right? So that was kind of like Austin, like rah rah a little bit. So you almost felt like you had to like show up for it. Well, it's like, like make it happen okay, come your on. Boys were like, oh, I don't see you in the yeah, number five. Exactly. Like, you know, like one, two, <laughs> yeah. three, four, five. I don't see your name. Exactly. So so the following year, the which was on the dawn basically of trio reopening, like literally two weeks prior, the Texom conference is in Austin, and. So with that conference, yes, we have the competition that runs a full day in, into part of the conference and competed in that and then won it at, at the awards ceremony is basically the, the grand tasting at the end. And so all the all my restaurant brass and my food and beverage director and everybody who was in town to help get the restaurant open came to the grand tasting and... uh I got to put that right in their face. So <laughs> so it wasn't long then it was they they gave me the uh they gave me the sommelier position literally it was happening before then but like the day we opened it was official. So that all really really serendipitously worked out for me. And so do you I was think Texom seems to bring the Texas sommelier community together. I mean I know people come from outside but it seems like it's it's pretty tight community for a big state and i wonder sure. if Texom kind of provides that it's a huge unifier you know i think that the conference itself you know is is designed to was always drew Hendricks and james tidwell was always designed for education i mean they wanted to to create a conference just so they could bring in wine professionals from all over and give information again like like starting our study group it was only purely to raise the bar for the wine professional and then engage the connoisseur or anyone else who is interested. And so, yeah, I think it's a huge unifier. You know, there's a little, you know, with the competition part, you know, and that, we, and that is only for Texas, young Texas sommeliers. You know, there's a little city pride, you know, but other than that, I mean, it's all goodwill. And, you know, yourself rot people like raj parr have from all people put industry us together icons. we're definitely on the same level <laughs> see see what i did there that was a compliment it's a huge difference but but i mean you know but, people but, like yourself steven spielberg you but, know, you're looking, like... well, <laughs> but you're looking at you're looking at people who are known in the industry who get to come to what was 10 years ago such a i mean it was kind of homemade I mean, it was a small conference with some, with you know, with some great samples and some MSs coming to talk about them, and now we get thirty to forty masters some ways, and 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 all walks of, and not just MSs. I mean, all industry pillars to to come in and people that are known to either share their perspectives on a either a region or the industry, and they get to also experience Texom, and we've heard nothing but good things about the the drive and the focus and what Texom brings to to the table and that's it's not just it's not just like a wine tasting where everybody gets to show up and have a good time i mean people are really pulling some solid info away so it's been like i said it's not it's not that old and it kind of continues to change but i feel like i think we're we're in the driver's seat of something really important and something needed in our industry and you kind of work behind the scenes to 
you know, make sure things happen. Yeah. Yeah. So myself and then like my good friend, June Rodell, like we help coordinate the, uh, all the sommelier help and, um, just make sure everything is on schedule, checking everything. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of late nights, which is probably our fault, but a lot of early mornings. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of work. You know, we've got simultaneously running four or five seminars at a time for multiple times of the day when we should just have one main seminar at different times during the day. I mean, so with a lot of moving parts, hospitality suites for people to go taste wines and have a good time. This is a lot of things going on. So it's fun to it's fun. And, and like I said, I wouldn't it's a lot of work, but I wouldn't trade it. I mean, yeah, I don't get to like see a lot of panels or 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 things like that but but that's okay i mean that's kind of you're saying you didn't want to see my panel was that, is so that what you're saying i it sounded a lot like it was only levy so i didn't want to see i it. heard your panel was boring <laughs> thanks a lot those were the other guys talking. <laughs> okay all right there's more than just me <laughs> yeah, that's all right, right. <laughs> Maybe you should look at your friend Craig Collins and Devin Broly and give them a talking to. Him. Yeah, All right, I think buddy? that's probably appropriate. No, I'm just kidding. They were actually great. Devin's a great speaker. Craig yeah. is too. So when young sommeliers come to you, sure. What do you tell them today? I mean, here's Austin. It kind of feels like you have the, you know, the Titans, the Paul Roberts, the the geese out guys, and then the first generation kind of Austin dudes. You, Devin, Craig. What do you tell the next guys who ask you for advice? I mean, I don't know if people ask you for I don't know. What's it like? What do you tell them? People don't like me. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's just me. Because I really like you. I think you're a good guy. That says something about us. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Outcast. Yeah. You no, know, uh, you know, people uh, People ask for advice all the time. You know, it, the advice is, is kind of is the same. It's always find people who are studying in your level. You know, whatever, if it's an exam you're setting for, find like-minded people. We, you know, we've, we've had a, we've, it's funny that you asked this question because Devin and Craig and June and I have all tried to unify ourselves a little bit more and us, ourselves, meaning the entire community so that there is a, there is maybe a time that we can all exchange contact info and, and all talk together. I mean, there's quite a, quite a few people, but advice in terms of education is, I mean, usually people are on the on the right path already with the right textbooks and things like that. Finding other people, that's the other direction I give them. You know, the 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 piece of advice I try to I give indirectly is to know that the sommelier position, you know, is not it's not an ego driven position. And when it becomes that, you know, that's when you kinda I think you lose people. And I try to, it's funny, we've always talked that like teaching professionalism would be something that we would really like to instill. You know, sometimes, and this isn't always the case, but sometimes, you know, you get a couple of certifications under your belt. Somebody gives you the, the keys to the, to the wine vault and gives you the list to write, right? And so then it becomes a little bit ego starts to swell a little bit and the the humility kind of goes out the window a little bit and you know my advice to them is that it's not you you know you, you, your wine reps are not working for you and your diners are not buying from you it's partnerships and everything right your wine rep works with you diners the diners are your you're there to make them feel comfortable and so that's always the 
the little bit of the information I'd like to help get, I like to help give young sommelier is that because, you know, it's, I mean, it, you know, certifications sometimes can be a, a little dangerous for people at wineless being in charge of anything. It's like that first driver's license, you know, oh, man. it's like, I don't know. You're going to take the Corvette out tonight. License yeah. to kill over there. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, and what's, what's next for you? I mean, here you've had a, a pretty good run, you know, didn't even know you were going to do it, kind of fell into it, started really liking it. Now you're like one of the top dudes in, in what is, when you look at the market, a lot of wine moves through Texas. You're one of the top guys. What's next for you? That's a good question. You know, I love my position at the Four Seasons, the opportunity it's given me for sure. You know, I don't know. I mean, I could definitely, you know, stay in the hotel chain. I think our, our like myself and James, our role is, has changed a lot in terms of just the recognition and the acknowledgement. I think that my goal, if I stay with Four Seasons, is to become, you know, whether I'm based still in Austin, but I'd like to bring a little bit more Four Seasons presence to the world in terms of wine, if that's something that James and I are kind of figureheads for. You know, we're starting to train. We have, I think we have like in the works, whether there's bricks being laid or contracts signed, we have quite a few more properties that are coming online. So the growth in the company is is great. And and I think there's plenty of opportunity there. I mean, we're we're close to finishing Napa. So a lot of exciting things happening. So, you know, what's next for me? Maybe more growth within four seasons. I mean, like I I'm certainly have no, I don't have any current thoughts of needing to leave this position. You know, there was a lot of times, there's always been that. And, and we, and I'm sure that you living in the city here, you know this, but like every sommelier across the country and especially every sommelier in markets like Texas are wondering when it is they're going to try to take their big shot at the city. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And well, that's a big advantage for New York kind of so many recruiters, like the guys who run many programs, like the wine directors for groups, because right. they can pretty much go to anyone. Right. And in, in another well, you could state poach any any great say, some way hey, from any market. We'd like you to work in New York. And they almost always say yes, unless they have family ties. Right. So it's actually when people are like, oh, New York's the greatest place to drink you know, wine in, you know, in the United States, which is frequent. Now you read those articles a lot. Part of it's driven by the fact that we're kind of like the Yankees. We're like, Oh, there's a good guy over there. Let's, let's like, let's get, let's sign him and move him to New York. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly right. The amount of people that are from Colorado who worked in Colorado, who are in New York right now is it's like a farm team. It's like, it's like a triple A and it's not even just triple A. It's like double A and triple A Aspen. I was going to say, I think there's a, there's a, there's like a secret tunnel that goes from Aspen straight to New York. You can just take it anytime you want. It's that. And, you know, occasional guys from the West coast, like people do that San Francisco, New York journey. I feel for me, and I was going to say with that mindset of like, do I ever get my crack at making it there? You know, I definitely have gone through that. I mean, I still, to some degree, like I still am like, oh, you know, I'm here. And like, you're like, oh man, it would just be, I mean, there's so much at your fingertips and let alone tasting wines or whatever. I mean, just being here in the, it's inspirational, right? You look at New York is the standard bearer for for wine programs in the country. And so you come here and you you basically gauge what it is you're doing 
on your home turf by what's going on here. And so there's always that want to go, well, what am I doing down there when I could just go to New York and just do it all? You know, I think we're living in a good time in Texas. The wines that we're seeing there, I mean, literally changes almost by the month. Things that, that we're seeing come to the state and um, from a needing to be around those programs, I think as I've gotten a little bit older, I've just said, you know what? Like I could do New York. I would love to live here, but I, in terms of a professional thing and what can I create and what can I, what can I offer Austin or Texas, you know, I feel now, I feel like, I feel like we can deliver that. And yeah, I think you have to use the city as a, as that, that measuring stick, but deliver that same level of quality and that same level of service and that same level of, of experience in Austin. Why not? One reason why you would stay in Austin would be because Austin is a place where you can have a 25, 27 page wine list of all kinds of stuff. And and in New York, those opportunities are increasingly rare. I'm not saying they don't exist, but a lot of times you're going to come and someone's like, okay, you're working at this really new hip. This is the place. Food's great. Everyone wants to be here. Right. Small restaurant, and you know your wine program is like one one page, sure. including wine by the glass. Like that's common now. Right. And by the way, we do great cocktails. You know what I mean? Right. So I mean, one reason you might want to stay at what I think of as a resort area in sure. a way. You know, when right. you're working for it, is because they actually will have the cellar space, so you can be like, hey, let's buy these things and watch them for five years. Let's see development, as right. opposed to like, oh yeah, our turnover is about. Uh, every six months, it's like completely different stuff in there. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Exactly. Because, you know, wine changes and part of developing of your palate isn't just trying everything. It's trying everything as it changes, you know? Absolutely. I've liked meeting and hearing about your changes. Thank you very much, Mark Sayre. Levy, thank you very much. Mark Sayre of Trio Restaurant in Austin at the Four Seasons. Thank you. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.